0: Welcome to Am I Famous Yet? Memoir of a Working Class Rockstar, where I explore the trials and tribulations of being a full-time freelance professional musician in this crazy business we call show. My name is Ivan Funkboy Bodley, and I'll be your host, endeavoring to entertain you with my tales from the road, because sometimes you have to laugh to keep from crying. Am I Famous Yet? is available as a podcast wherever you get fine podcasts a YouTube series, and even as an actual book in hardcover, softcover, and Kindle editions on Amazon. Links for all of these, including my social media, can be found at my website, www.funkboy.net. ynet If you like what you're hearing, please rate and review it, as these things really do help other people find the show. So grab your bass, tune up, and let's hit the road. Hey, it's Ivan. Welcome to Playing for a Living, ruminations and remembrances from the week that was. Sunday night, I flew to Minneapolis to play a gig on Monday with Rock and Roll Hall of Famers Little Anthony and the Imperials. Anthony just turned 80 this year and still sings like he's a teenager. All of his songs are in the original keys from over 60 years ago. He's amazing. The only effect I could discern that the quarantine had on him was to convince him that he no longer needed to dye his hair. He's letting his freak flag fly these days. He looks great. The flight in on Sunday was uneventful. The chain hotel we stayed at was adjacent to the Mall of America, which, if you're not familiar, is the biggest of all possible malls. There's a complete amusement park with roller coasters and carousels in the atrium of the building, just to give you some sense of scale. The mall seems to have all of the stores you've seen in other malls, just a whole lot more of them. The hotel was also attached to an IHOP, which at 10 p.m. on a Sunday evening in Minneapolis might be the only place open and therefore was the greatest restaurant on the face of the earth to the weary and famished traveler such as I. Monday morning, I found a state park right by the hotel for a lovely five-mile run on a groomed trail among the wetlands. That afternoon, we made our way to the Minnesota State Fairgrounds, where our engagement was to commence upon the grandstand stage. It was an intimate venue, capable of holding only 10,000 or so of our closest friends. It wasn't full that night, but in half-empty 10,000-seater is still an awful lot of people to entertain. I took some photos around the fairgrounds that day, since it is famously where one is able to purchase almost anything imaginable, both fried and on a stick. The vendors did not disappoint. At the show that evening, Little Anthony and the Imperials were the second of three acts on the bill. We performed between the grassroots and the spinners. Nostalgia was had by all. I'm certainly more than a little biased based on who was signing my check that night, but I thought Anthony was the best. I got a fun photo of me and Anthony up on the Jumbotron that night taken by my pal, keyboardist Ricky Peterson, who lives locally and was in attendance. I hadn't seen Ricky in probably 10 years. We had done some fun gigs in France and in Japan with Sam Moore. He has since been keeping himself busy with Fleetwood Mac and others. I'm glad our paths crossed again, and I'm glad I was able to introduce Ricky to Anthony, who is a hero to so many of us. The next morning at 5 a.m., I was in the hotel lobby waiting for my shuttle ride to the airport. After blearily handling in my room key and sitting down to contemplate my life choices, uh, well, I wasn't thinking anything, really. My eyes weren't yet focused at that hour. Suddenly, the kid behind the hotel desk wearing a name tag that proclaimed him the night manager bursts out far too loudly for the hour of the morning. I thought I recognized you from somewhere. You're a funk boy. You music direct all over the world. That's me, I said. What I also thought, but didn't say out loud, was... That's cute. You don't recognize me from anywhere. You have no idea who I am, nor should you. You've just Googled my name because it's written on my hotel keycard folder and are regurgitating the first line of my bio that, P.S., I wrote about myself. I appreciate your enthusiasm, but it's far too early in the morning for me to match it. I wish you all the best in life, sir. I thought that. I didn't say it. Recall also my being recognized at LaGuardia Airport on my outbound trip to Minneapolis as being the famous musician who had played the wedding that the recognizer had attended the night before. Ah, fame. The next bit of scheduling excitement for that week occurred Wednesday morning. When I play wedding gigs on the weekends, usually the band leader sends out an info sheet by Monday or Tuesday. Occasionally they don't go out until Wednesday or Thursday, but that's rare. With many wedding bands, you are booked for the calendar date without much auxiliary information until the gig sheet comes out early in the week. Occasionally, this can make adjacent bookings with different bands a bit of a challenge. For instance, it's completely possible to learn as late as Wednesday that on Saturday night I'll be in New Hampshire, followed by a Sunday afternoon gig in Jersey City. Routing like that inevitably cuts down on the available sleep hours. So last week I hadn't heard from the Saturday band by Wednesday morning. I decided to be proactive and wrote to the band leader asking for details. The band leader wrote back to me saying there were no details because there was no gig. The wedding had been postponed until next year sometime. Um... Excuse me? And you were going to tell me this when? I write things down in my calendar. So not only did I have this gig written down as firm, but I also had written down that I had refused gigs the same night with other bands, which meant that each time that I was offered another gig for that night, I went back to the original band leader to see if the date was indeed solid before turning down the other offer. Apparently, it was because I had turned down both other offers and made a note of it. That means the wedding gig in question had been confirmed at least three separate times. While I understand that with COVID, the world is still upside down, and any gig is still potentially able to be canceled on short notice, I get that, but whenever this gig was actually postponed, I was never notified of it. I was more than a little warm about this. Since this type of thing has very occasionally happened in the past, I had a strategy to employ that yields mixed results. I texted both band leaders whom I had turned down just to say that I knew that they had a bass player hired for their weekend, as they should. But God forbid the bass player should break a fingernail or get a flat tire or anything untoward, that band leader should be aware that I have become suddenly available for an SOS call. I'm not trying to take food out of anybody's mouth. I'm just offering up a fallback position because things do occasionally happen. Naturally, both band leaders got back to me within minutes to offer me work. I suddenly went from being unemployed to being double booked in about 15 minutes. My ire at the previous canceling band leader evaporated as I commenced to reschedule my weekend. Within seconds of sending out my text, Sandy from Jay and the Americans called me, speaking very quickly, saying, You want this weekend? You're on. As I was still trying to process my sudden reversal of fortune, he said something else about how they were going to fly in a bass player from Las Vegas, and then he hung up the phone. This made no sense to me, hiring a cat from Vegas to play in New England, nor did it seem likely that it would somehow be cheaper for them to eat that plane ticket if they had already bought it. Within a few minutes, I pieced together what had happened. After I had originally turned down the gig months ago, they hired another cat. Maybe an hour before my newfound unemployment text, that other bass player had called Sandy to tell him that he was sick getting tested for COVID and unsure whether he would have a negative result in time to make the gig or not. This was when Sandy started casting a wider net for available players, resulting in them getting a hook into the player from Vegas. I don't think the plane ticket was even purchased before I pinged in, so they immediately booked me for the weekend. It turned out that they had two gigs back to back, Friday at a new venue on Cape Cod and Saturday at a theater in Laconia, New Hampshire. My one lost gig turned into two found ones right away. The second band leader I had also previously turned down and also sent the same SOS text to got back to me within minutes of me booking the weekend with Jay and the Americans, offering me a wedding for Saturday night. Too slow, Holmes. I'm already booked. It all worked out for the best. The wedding gig wasn't strapped for a bass player. They had multiple bands out that night. Having me would have just allowed them to shift things around a bit. The Americans were more in need, got to me sooner, and offered me two nights instead of one. I drove to Cape Cod, played the Americans gig, and camped out in a hotel there. Then I drove to New Hampshire, played the second Americans gig, and left immediately after the show to drive back to Queens. It was an early 7 p.m. show. I was on the road by 9 p.m. and back home by 2 a.m. The main reason I made a run for it was because the weekend wasn't over. Sunday, I played and conducted a Russian wedding on Long Island. And Monday, I played a bar gig with a classic rock band on Fire Island. The Russian weddings are a whole other subject for discussion that I cover in my book, Am I Famous Yet? Memoir of a Working Class Rock Star. Check that out if you haven't already. Which is to say that the Russian wedding gig was weird, but not unusually so. It was just a normal amount of weird. That was the week that was. This is the Funk Boy, signing off.